God, it is, a, it is a humbling and sometimes dreadful thing to go before people and to talk about your word. And I know that many pastors over the centuries have trembled. And often, I confess, I take it too lightly or I take it too hurriedly. But I know, Lord God, at this moment, I offer it up to you that, God, that you would allow our ears to hear your living word. You would speak through your servant. And, God, that we would be gathering around you in this fellowship that Christ has formed for us um, again as we center around you. Thank you, Father, for this community. Thank you for all that you're doing, seen and unseen. And draw us deeper with you that we may be more impactful in this world. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So in John, we have been going over 1 John, and rather than going over chapter by chapter, I wanted to kind of take advantage of the cyclical theme that John keeps doing. He repeats the same theme over and over in chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5. And I just want to kind of extrapolate that and do it in a way where it's not going by chapter, it's going by theme. Uh, the question is, how do we get here? Where do we start with Christianity and what are we doing here? And John's answer is, we have been witnesses to the truth. We have seen the light. The word has become flesh. And it all begins with God. So Christianity is not something we have created, we have conspired, that we have adapted. It's an eyewitness account of what God has done and lived amongst the people of the disciples and all the first generations of Christians. And so John says, this is the message we have heard in verse 5 of chapter 1 and proclaim to you. And he says this, God is light and in him no dark, is no darkness at all. In InterVarsity Press New Testament commentary, the way they take that is that God is light means God is the revealer of himself to the world that was in darkness, that God is the one who provides the word to illuminate our paths. So, so God provides us his word. But third, God is our salvation. God is light. So Psalmist talks about you are my light and my salvation. And so how many of you like movies? I love movies. And isn't it striking that movies always use this theme of light and darkness? So Star Wars fans, you, you, you know, who said this? If you only knew the power of the dark side. I am so depressed. Darth Vader. Oh, okay. Forget bowling. We're going to watch Star Wars as a church. Uh, who, so, and then in Lord of the Rings, this line comes up. May it be a light for you in dark places when all other lights go out. And this is uh, Eladriel. I forget how to say her name. She gives this little potion that illuminates to Frodo so that when darkness comes, he can shine it. And then third, probably the best superhero of all time, Batman, he says, the night is darkest just before the dawn, and I promise you the dawn is coming. That's kind of cool. Batman's so cool. And so in movies, they always use this duality, light, darkness, light, darkness, and they're not creating it. It's, it's the reality that John is showing. That ultimate light is not just an abstract good. It is God. God is the ultimate good, and this light has come. So John uses that duality. He's a witness of Jesus. And last week, we learned this. You and I have fellowship, not because we come to 13701 Hillsborough Drive, La Mirada, California, 
10 o'clock every Sunday morning. But you and I, when we were baptized into Christ, you and I have fellowship. And that bond is bigger than just an affiliation to a church. It's to a person, Jesus Christ. And that allows us to say, I can love you. I can forgive you. I can walk with you. And that's the fellowship that we have with God and we have with each other. And so if that is true, we walk in the light because God is light. And that's John's point. So therefore, walk in the light. Walk in the light. And so what does that even mean? <laughs> so Marion Thompson, uh, in that commentary in InterVarsity Press, says this. And I just, this is a great summary, and so I plucked it out. To walk in the light means to shape one's whole being, all one's actions, decisions, thoughts, and beliefs by the standard of the God who is light, who is light, even as a circle gives shape to empty space. In summary, Christian life is life with God, in God, and for God. Can we say that? Christian life is life with God, in God, for God. So all of our lives, walking in the light means we are fully absorbed. We live for God, we live in God, and we walk with God. That is the best dream of Christian life. It's not just simply, hey, there's a hell or there's death. You want to have a hope, go to heaven. That is so kind of, it's so flip. <laughs> but if there is a God who created everything, and this God wants to know me and wants me, and Jesus makes that possible, there is nothing I want more than this world than Jesus. And so we just sang, yet not I, but through Christ in me. And I'm going to ask praise team, can we sing that as a response, actually? It fits so well. That fellowship, a life supplied by everything God's given us, and we have a purpose for living, all of that is walking in the light. And so, strong implication here is that light and darkness cannot coexist. And so what John's saying here is, we get so confused, you cannot live in both. We will stumble, we will fall, but you can't have both. And so in 2023, I think a lot of Christianity has become confusing. Is it really me? Has Christianity become confusing to you? It's become really weird for me. <laughs> and I don't know, like, where it's coming from, but first century Jerusalem, they had false teachers too. So it's nothing new, but in these day and age, it got really confusing. And so we're not supposed to walk in darkness because we walk in the light, but some of us, I think it gets confusing because we choose to allow darkness to stay in. So there's a difference between I stumble into darkness versus I kind of keep darkness hanging around. It's like that bad habit <laughs> that God wants me to release. And so we keep it around. And so John is imploring us, do not live in holiness as your goal. Do not open the side door to darkness. And so that takes us to this question that I think a lot of us ask. And this will be the thrust of what's in your bulletin as well. And I think what John is trying to say is, in light of so many people who were part of us, and later on in chapter 2, he says, they left us. And they rejected Christ. They said Jesus was never in the flesh. Salvation is not from Jesus, it's from a knowledge. And John says, how do we know if we are truly disciples of Christ? Put it this way, how do I know if I'm a true Christian? 
Now, that's a very dangerous question because once we explore that by opinions, you know, the point of it is not to say, oh, you're not a Christian. You're not a... The question that John presents is, church, reflect on your own heart if you have the truth and you have the light. And so he goes into 1 John and he gives us these words. And so the question is, how do I know? What if I'm not? Or, and the number one answer that surveys showed, um, what makes you a Christian? Do you know what the number one answer was? This was a survey. What makes you a Christian? How did you become a Christian? Number one answer by 60 or 70%, I believe. It was a majority. Because I went to church. How do you know you're a Christian? Because I went to church. Now, we have to understand, everyone knows this, going to church did not make you a Christian. There's nothing in the Bible that those who attend church and worship services are children of God. What does it say? Those whom Christ redeemed, covered by his blood, forgiven, those who have become sons and daughters of living God. They were orphans, but now they're heirs. We are children. But the number one answer is, why are you a Christian? How are you a Christian? I went to church. And uh, one of my favorite uh, singer, Christian singers from the 1970s said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian as much as going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. That's, that's the line I use a lot of time because he said that. And, and so Keith Green was his name, 80s, 70s Christian singer. And so how do I know I'm a Christian? And so John's writing this. In chapter 2, verse 19, he says, they went out from us. They were not of us. For if they had been us, they would have continued with us. So John is writing this in response to those who he assumes never were part of us. And they were led astray. Uh, this is why truth is important. And so people mingled for a while, but in John's understanding, he wants Christ followers to know, hey, let's look at some red flags. So I want to do this for us for, to give us assurance of salvation, assurance that we are children of God. And what maybe some of us were kind of panicking. I notice when people are close to death, one of the things, two worries that they have, how, how will my loved ones continue on without me? That's the number one concern of people dying. You know what the second close to it is? How can I be sure that I will go with God? And close people to our family have asked that. And I heard that over and over again. But those are the two questions. How will my loved ones go on without me? And then how can I be sure? And so let's look at what John says. And this is significant because Christianity, is it about just being nice to everybody? Let's be a place where we're, we provide happiness. Is it Christianity a way to respond to hell? Um, sometimes Christianity is about politics these days. So if you're a particular Christian, you, you fight for just progressive agendas. If you're another particular Christian, you fight for Trump and his agendas. And so Christianity becomes very political. And so it's like, what is Christianity? And a pastor, Micah Fries, says this, be careful that your Christianity is not little more than politics and nationalism cloaked in vague scriptural support and moral arguments. Sometimes we get the cart before the horse. So what is Christianity? How do I know if I'm a Christian? And John says, let me share. So in today's text, uh, John chap 1 John chapter 2, 
John borrows a lot from Jesus. Surprise, surprise. Because he walked with him. He lived with him for three years. And so John and Jesus, they have a lot of things in common. And this is the theme that comes out. Jesus says you could talk the talk, but do you? Oh, you guys are preachers. But ultimately, you can verify people who just talk the talk by their fruits. What does Jesus say in Matthew 7? Verse 15, 20, watch out for false prophets. Even pastors, we talk the talk. Do we walk the walk? They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruits, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes and thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. He concludes, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus, by their fruits, you will recognize them. And so what does John say? Well, John in 1 John chapter 1 and 2, look at what he says three times. First, he says in verse 5 of chapter 1, we, if you say we have fellowship with God, walk, talk the talk, but what? But you walk in darkness, you deceive yourself. So your actions don't follow what you say. Your fruits of your life is not bearing with what you say. 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, today's text. If you say, I know him, I know Jesus. I think of the movie Elf. I know him, Santa, I know him. Um, thank you. And then, so 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, I know him. I could say that. I know Jesus. By the way, even the demons know Jesus, right? The devil knows Jesus. But if we say, I know him, but actions say we do not keep his commandments, John says we are liars. Third, John says in chapter 2, verse 9, today's text, if you say, I am in the light, but actions say you are still in darkness if you hate your brother. Now, now James, half-brother of Jesus, says a similar thing. He says this in chapter 2, verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action, is dead. James also says this, can you praise God, how great is our God, how, sing with me, how great is our God, and say, I hate George. George is a jerk and an idiot. Same mouth, same day, within the same hour. It's like, there's something off there. If you say, I know him. And so, John is saying, like, that's going to linger. That's a struggle we have. But take a step back and look. So how shall we live? What are the marks that determine that deep inside there is a semblance that, boy, I'm not just a confused religious follower, but I really know him, that God has taken a hold of me. He has delivered me and captured me. And so he gives, and I'm going to share, there's six in your bulletin. Um, if you could follow along, and if you want to take notes, you can. Um, just going to go over a few. And so John is not saying these are indicators that if you do a checklist, you are a Christian. That's not his point. These are more like assessments of, hey, what would you say for this? And I want to pray that the Holy Spirit is really convicting us that we are not just religious followers, but, boy, God, I, I see your light. You came for me. I want to know you. And so the first thing he says is, it's First John, John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 that Pierre read for us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, pause right there, I love that. That Christianity never assumes because you're a Christian, you should live sinless. 
Jesus knows we will sin. I love that. But if you do sin, anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So the first is, who, in whom do you depend and trust to settle your sins? Who do you run to when you have this struggle with sin? Where do you find peace and assurance for all your sins? Um, I remember um, this story where a lady borrowed a pearl necklace from a neighbor. It was genuine. She was going to a fancy dining restaurant. And then at the dinner, she came back and she lost this genuine pearl necklace. And she went out and bought a replacement because she felt so bad. And she gave it to the owner. Years passed and she paid off the debt. She took out a loan. And she lived in this like dread and fear. And one day they met up and the owner of the necklace saw her all decrepit and kind of like stressed out. And she said, oh, what's going on? And she told the truth. You know, when I borrowed your necklace, I lost it. And I actually replaced it. And I took 10 years to work hard to pay off. And the lady said, oh, my goodness. That necklace wasn't even real. That was not a real pearl necklace. You were carrying this burden for nothing. And in the same way, what do you do with sin? Jesus is saying, I paid for you. I want to take your sin, and you are carrying the burden, the baggage, the guilt, and the pain of it. And so the simplicity of Christianity is that if you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. That Christ's grace is immediate and available to each of us. And so the four words that I want to say whenever I sin, this is when Pastor Jason sins, and for youth group, for parents, for adults, You know, the first four words that come every time, most of the time to my mind is this. Jesus, well, five words. (laughs) Jesus, you paid it all. I go back to the cross because my dependence, my assurance of peace, is not that I will finally stop sinning with my power, but it's the one who broke the chains that we sang about. And so the first indicator that you are Christian is Christ is your hope, the Redeemer. The propitiation, which is a fancy word for the payment for sin, the substitutionary payment for sin, Jesus Christ has become. And so some of us are carrying sin. You're trying to be good. You're trying to work it off. Some of you are compensating for something in the past and trying to live well now. And Jesus is saying, that's not your job to pay it off. Let me pay it off. Who is your, who is your confidence? So John says, let Christ be your confidence, that we may not sin. And so these people are humble. They take ownership of their sins. They have confidence in righteousness. Second, they repent of sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 10, we heard it last week. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So because Jesus offers this grace, what do you do with the sin? You confess it. Now, parents, you know this. Kids fight, and the kids come to you, and you say, what do you say? And they say, sorry. Are they sorry? What's the magic alteration that 
makes him own the sin. I am sorry. Big difference, right? Would you make up with your wife and husband? Please make up. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Kathy, I am so sorry I hurt you. See, you see the difference? One's owning it. One's confessing it. One's, you could go further. I am so sorry that I denigrated you in front of your family. I am so sorry. Forgive me. Versus, I'm human. I make mistakes. Sorry. Okay, let's move on. Can we talk about something else? Which one is confessing? And so when we have sin, we go to God. We could start by saying, I have sinned against you. Or you could say the prayer that we teach. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and forgives us our sins. So why do we wait till Sunday? And I don't want to take a, make fun of Catholics. Like, you don't need to go to a priest. You have, you have the advocate who fights for you. And so second sign that, you know, there is, that we walk with Christ is we don't carry this sin. We confess it. We're not surprised that we sin. We own it. We share it. We need to repent. And the word repent here in the Greek is metanoia, which is not just I'm sorry, but it's a changing of mind that says this. I, am, I hate that sin. I turn from that sin. I want to switch my life pattern in that sin. So if a husband's hitting his wife or kids, or if you're just a jerk in the road cutting people off, you don't go, okay, I hope I don't get caught and I'll try not to do it again. It's you hate this ugly darkness in you and you love the mercy of Christ to transform you. That's repentance. And a lot of us are sorry, but we don't repent. And it's a changing of mind to say, Lord, help me to hate that sin and to love you. And so third, he goes on, 1 John chapter 1, 5, and 7, he actually says something hard. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But we walk in, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In summary, the commentaries say this. It's the verse from Leviticus. Be holy, God says, as I am holy. Walk in the light as I am in the light. So the third is this. We imitate God's nature. Now the essence of this is, what's God's nature? The essence of God's nature is, he is supremely good, supremely loving, and exceptionally, perfectly holy. And so we follow that essence in us. So it's, it means set apart in one definition. It means sinless, which we're not. <laughs> We are forgiven of sin, but we are going to struggle with sin until we go home. But the third, when he says be holy, imitate, it means this. Do you imitate the essence of God to desire goodness, holiness, to desire love for the other people? That's God's nature. And so this is the idea of walking in the light. Holiness, this is the definition. We imitate the nature of God in his greatness. 1 Peter 1.16, you shall be holy for I am holy. 1 Thessalonians 4.7, for God has not called us for impurity but for holiness. And so we copy this 
not in a religious, legalistic way, but Lord, let the essence of your goodness and love saturate me. Um, we'll do one more and we'll call it. The fourth in your list is obedient to God's commandments. How do I know I'm a Christian? How do I know that God has captured my heart? Well, what happens when, you, um, when someone does incredible things for you? What, what happens when you love somebody and they love you? You want to listen to them. Uh, when Kathy and I were started dating, um, we, do you remember Taibo? Does anybody remember Taibo? It's like yoga. No, it's not yoga. It's like kickboxing workout. And so when I kind of like Kathy, she started joining um, the, the Jacqueline Fitness Center and one hour of Taibo. It's like one hour of intense workout. So I was like, I'll go there. And I, at first 10 minutes, I was spent. And why did I do that? Because she does it, so I want to do it. And everything she says, I'm like, oh, yeah, honey, whatever you need, whatever you want. And so, you know, when you're, and then, and then you get married, it, the guy doesn't do that anymore. That's, so so young, young girls, like, once you get married, husbands change, unfortunately. But some don't, but, but even I did. So what's, when you love somebody, it's not like I have to listen to them. You want to listen to them. And what Jesus is saying here is, if you love me, this is Jesus' own words in John 14, 21. This is your love for Jesus. It's not how the songs touch you. That's not, that's not the real love that Jesus defines. It's not the feeling you get when you go to a huge worship concert. Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, obeys them, listens for them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. In other words, this is what John is saying. Obedience is the indicator that we love God. And I want to say this because I just had a conversation with, with somebody in the church office. Sometimes we think the religious worship experience is the indicator of our love for God. But I think it's, this is so practical. It's in the quiet moments when no one's looking, your integrity, your desire to uphold truth, not lie, to keep from perversion, to let God be your number one. It's in the small moments that we say, oh, this is tempting, but I want to do what's right because I love God. I want to honor him. Those are the moments that love is exhibited. It's not when you're in a thousand see an auditorium and you got a rocking choir and worship band and you're like, oh, I feel his love. That's human response to beautiful music. But here's how you show love and I show love to God in the moments that no one's watching, in the quiet moments where you hold to integrity and truth, the Ten Commandments, desiring not to covet, desiring not to use the word of them in vain, to keep any idols away and say, Jesus is my king. It, and living like that, that's what Jesus says, and John says is obedience. And so motivation to obey is natural because we think about what Christ has done for us, and he is our first love. Now, I'm going to stop there because I could go on, and I have a question for you. Well, in your bulletin, you have a bullet, you have some sheets. I'm going to ask you, from everything you've heard just now and everything from Scripture you've read, I'm going to ask every single one of us, take a moment with a pen and paper, what is something that you are going to do this week 
as a response to any of these things spoken. Just take a moment. What is something that you can do this week in response to the word or to anything you've heard? Anything particular? And just, just take a moment to jot that down anywhere. And so I'm going to give us a moment of silence to do that, reflect on it, and then I'll close us with final words and prayer. We want to be doers of the word, not just hearers. We want to be challenged and, and put into practice. And so these are just my final words in prayer. And it's that only Christians, literally, can do this. If you have not been filled with the Spirit of God, if you have not understood the greatness of God and the greatness of his sacrifice of his son to cover us, to redeem us, and you have not tasted that and entered into that by faith, it is impossible to live like this. It is impossible to obey God out of love. It is impossible to seek Christ with a wholehearted peace. But ironically, for those who may not be in that, these are the invitations. Christ has been our only offering. No religion says the God has laid down his life to pay for your sin. It's Jesus Christ. And so the message to us today is who are you? Where are you? How do you know you're a Christian? That the words that we sang today, I want to read. No fate I dread. I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold. My sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released. I can sing. I am free. Yet not I, but Christ in me. Let Christ fight for you. Amen. He has done it. He will do it. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for these challenging thoughts and words from John. Uh, God, may we not use it as a screening test for one another, but really as your spirit examines our hearts. How do I know I am a Christian? And all we see is this beauty of your son who came and defeated and took on sin, that I may be released. All I see is a God who loves me and extends an invitation. And so, God, not by my will or choice or my intelligence, but, Lord, fully your gift, you have given us this hope. And so we cling to that. We worship you as a result of that. And as in a short minute, even when we sing it, God, may we 
fully pour out, pour out our hearts, declaring that this marks what we are. That we're not Christians by our wonderful efforts, but by your incredible grace. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Cover each of us. Give us assurance now. Give us clarity for those who are seeking. And may you be visible and clear to the world of this good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.